Section 18 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 18 A Prospective Pleasure for Doris. The tenants' dinner was a great success. It was well attended, for all were anxious to show that they appreciated and returned the duke's kindly feeling to mark it was a dream of glory he had seen nothing like the interior of this magnificent castle the state-rooms the superb hall with its blazonry of shields and armor the banquet-room with its groined roof and grand pictures puzzled him it was something to be a tenant of such a duke as this as for the dinner itself, it simply amazed him. He did not know the name of half the dishes or half the wines. As for the fruit, the silver, the servants in attendance, he thought of it all with bated breath. Doris had desired him, in a whisper, to tell her all he saw, and to be sure and not forget anything. Honest Mark tried to take an inventory, but his mind failed him. It gave way under the strain. He could not grasp the half of what he saw and heard. Mark's wonder was not diminished when a footman, bending very respectfully, asked him to be kind enough to follow him. He arose instantly and followed through such dazzling and magnificent rooms that he began to think of the wonders of the Arabian Nights he had read when a boy. They came to a door that was covered with rich velvet hangings. The footman pushed them aside, opened it, and Mark Brace found himself to his great consternation and distress in the presence of the Duchess and her daughter, both in evening dress, and the shimmer of silk, the sheen of jewels were enough to bewilder the honest farmer. Still, he had a native dignity of his own, which nothing could deprive him, although his hands felt more stiff and red than ever, and he was most sorely puzzled what to do with them. Still, he recollected himself and bowed to the ladies in a fashion quite his own. The Duchess received him kindly. Lady Estelle spoke no word, but her indolent, handsome eyes rested on his face. "'Mr. Brace,' said her grace, "'I am pleased to see you. "'We have been long absent.' "'Mark muttered something to the effect, "'Heaven bless them, they were very welcome home.' "'The Duchess smiled, and Lady Estelle thought to herself, "'What a simple, honest man he is.' Mark had disposed of his hands to his own satisfaction. One was placed behind him, where it lay rigid and straight. The other hung down by his side as though slightly ashamed of itself. Then he found himself in difficulties over his feet. He had some dim idea that he had heard his wife say it was genteel to stand with the heels together. He tried it, and it proved a dead failure. The Duchess relieved him of all further embarrassment by pointing to a chair. He sat down with a deep sigh that was almost a gasp, 
thankful to be relieved at last. "'I wanted to see you, Mr. Brace,' continued the stately lady, "'to ask how the child is whom we saw at the farm.' Mark was himself again with something to say of Doris. His face brightened. "'She's not a child now, Your Grace. She has grown to be a beautiful girl.' "'Is she still beautiful?' asked her grace. "'I do not think the sun when it rises in the morning is brighter,' replied Mark, with unconscious poetry. "'I'm almost sorry to hear it,' said her grace. "'There are more qualities than beauty for a girl in her position, Mr. Brace.' "'Yes, but we can't help it.' "'And,' interrupted the Duchess, "'have you heard any more? Do you know to whom she belongs?' Have you any trace of her parentage? Lady Estelle shut her jeweled fan and laid it on the table. Her eyes were fixed on Mark's face. No, your grace, he replied. We know no more than we did on the day she first came to us. The money comes every year. It always comes from London, generally in Bank of England notes, quite new and crisp, sometimes gold-packed in a little box. It never fails. It is so strange. There's never a word about the child in the parcels? No questions? No remarks? No, not one, he replied. And what have you done with her all these years? asked the Duchess. She had high spirits of her own. She's been to school, Your Grace. It was her own wish she should go. She was away for four years without coming home. "'Then she is clever and accomplished,' said the Duchess. "'Yes,' replied Mark. "'She is as clever as any lady in the land.' "'Then his face grew crimson, "'and he said to himself that he had made a great blunder. "'Lady Estelle smiled in her usual languid fashion. "'I mean, Your Grace,' exclaimed Mark, "'that she's really very clever. "'She sings like a mermaid,' he added delighted at his own figure of speech she can dance and speaks two foreign languages the duchess laughed it was impossible to help it mark's face was such a study as he enumerated this list of accomplishments i should like to see your protege mr brace said her grace but as she is inclined to be vain it would be wise perhaps not to tell her that i have expressed such a wish Mark looked very wise. He quite agreed with it. "'You might say,' continued her grace, "'that you're coming over to the castle next week on business, "'and bring her with you.' "'I will, your grace,' said Mark proudly. "'I'm coming on business next Tuesday. "'My lease is to be renewed. "'I will bring her with me. "'She's engaged to be married,' he added bluntly. "'Engaged?' repeated the duchess. "'Why, she cannot be more than nineteen. "'She is nineteen, said Mark, "'and, of course, I shall not allow her to be married for a year. "'You are quite right,' interrupted the Duchess. "'Lady Estelle had opened her fan, and she stirred it gently, as she asked, "'To whom is she engaged?' "'Mark declared, in reporting the conversation, "'that it was the grammar that destroyed him.' It made him feel unequal to giving any answer. He turned uneasily in his chair. To whom is she engaged? To whom is she engaged? 
repeated the clear musical voice. Why, my lady, he is a poet and a gentleman. A poet and a gentleman, repeated the Duchess. That is high praise. He deserves it, your grace. He's written a book. I cannot say whether it has been read among the great people, but with such as us, the verses are on the lips of every man, woman, and child. What is the poet's name? asked Lady Estelle. Earl Moray, my lady. He lives near us, and his father was a clergyman. His mother is a very quiet, grave lady. She always thought that Doris was my daughter, and when she heard the truth, she was quite unwilling for her son to make such a marriage. But he talked her over. Lady Estelle used her fan vigorously. Her face had suddenly grown burning red. They're very much attached to each other, continued Mark. I never saw anything like the way in which he worships her. I'm sure that if he lost her, he would go mad. Let us hope not, said the Duchess with a smile. Going mad's a very serious matter. Then, said the low, sweet voice of Lady Estelle, your protege is provided for, Mr. Brace? Her future is safe? I hope so, my lady, said cautious Mark. But as the wedding does not take place for a year, much may happen in that time. We will hope it will all end happily, said her grace kindly. Then Mark understood that his interview had ended. Lady Estelle murmured a careless adieu. The Duchess spoke kindly of Patty, and Mark went home that night, a proud and happy man. He was greeted with innumerable questions. His wife seemed to think that Mark had been the principal person present, that except for the fact of his presence, the dinner party would have been insignificant. Doris positively bewildered him with questions. Mrs. Brace and Mattie sat with awe and wonder on their faces. I cannot answer so many questions, Doris, said Mark at last. I will tell you what. I am going to the castle again on Tuesday to renew my lease. Will you go with me? Her beautiful face flushed crimson. Will I? Of course I will, Doris said. What would they say? asked Mattie. They would not say anything, said Mark. I shall tell them that my daughter Doris had a great fancy for seeing the inside of a castle, and you may take my word, they will be kind enough. Let Mattie go, suggested Mrs. Brace, but Mattie shrank back. Oh, no, she said, I should not care for it. I would rather not. And I would give a year of my life, said Doris. You need not give anything, said Mark. Dress yourself tidily, not finely he added with a touch of natural shrewdness. One does not require finery in going to see a duchess. Shall I see the duchess? asked Doris, opening her eyes wide with surprise. Then Mark Brace perceived his error. I'm a poor hand at keeping a secret, he thought. If you go to the castle, he replied, it's very probable you will see the duchess of Downsbury. I shall not be able to sleep from this moment till then, cried Doris. And when Earl Moray came, she could talk to him about nothing but the intensity of the pleasure in store for her. A hundred times and more did Mark repent 
giving the invitation. He had no peace, no rest. Even Earl himself could not persuade her to talk about anything except the grandeur of Downsbury Castle. I'm quite sorry I cannot go back to school for a few days, she said, just to make all my schoolfellows mad with jealousy. Why should they be mad? asked Mattie. You do not know how much they talk about Downsbury Castle, she replied. My dear, they call England a Christian land, and they pray for the conversion of all pagans and idolaters. There are no such idolaters as these same English who worship rank, title, and wealth, as they never worshipped heaven. You are one of them, Doris, said Mattie. Not altogether. Underneath my worship there's a vein of cynicism, but no one suspects it. If you want to learn a few lessons of that kind, Mattie, you should go to a fashionable boarding school. I declare that I never heard anyone quoted for being good or virtuous. It was always for being nobly born, rich, titled. I learned my lesson quickly, Mattie. You did indeed, was the brief reply, and it is a lesson that I am sorry Earl's wife should ever have taken to heart. The only reply was a careless laugh. Doris did not even care to quarrel with her sister, so highly delighted was she at the prospect of going to the castle. At length, to the intense delight and relief of everyone, Tuesday came, and it was time to go. Doris did not love nature. She had no appreciation of its beauties. But in after years, she did remember how the sun had shone on this day, and how blithely the little birds had sung in the trees, how sweet was the perfume of the flowers and the fragrance of the hedges as they drove to Downsbury Castle. End of section 18